the free for all roundtable round two on round two tamara cherry is here with pickup communications also author of the fascinating book called the trauma beat uh, bob reed is principal at broadwaystrategy.com the guy behind touchdowns and fumbles from the jerry agar show and rob davis is here former toronto city councillor founder of rob davis associates and uh, listen speaking of uh, how the city is run let's talk briefly because we're going to have a wider discussion with two city councillors after the news at nine but they're meeting at City Hall today to talk about taxes and fees. And Rob Davis, I'll start with you, you having served in a civic administration. Um, he won't be alone, but Brad Bradford is championing the idea of, wait a second, before you start raising taxes and fees, how about we talk about less spending? Absolutely. You know, um, we have an affordability issue in the city. And as I like to say to people, you don't increase affordability by raising taxes or spending more money in your own household. So what we really have to do, I think, as a city is, is, is start to look at the things that they do and say, is this really necessary? And I'm not even going to use the word Dundas in this conversation. I, I think it's <laughs> important that we look at, at at all of the other things, like is it really, really important that that uh, they do all the things that the federal and, and provincial government should be doing um, in terms of uh, housing and other social services that uh, that are the purview of those other levels of government? And I think it's a very good question to ask. And taxpayers deserve to know that you've lifted every rock, uh, turned over every stone to look for savings before you reach into their pocket and raise their taxes when they're having a difficult time making more payments. And Tamara Cherry, there is a certain intransigence once you establish some sort of a service that you provide in a city to back away from it, but maybe we need to back away from some spending. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. Um, that said, we have, uh, we, I'm in Saskatchewan now, but Toronto's my second home. There is a housing emergency now. There is uh, major crises facing refugees in the city now. There is stuff that needs to be addressed now. And we have been bringing up the fact that Toronto is paying for things that the province and, and the feds should be paying for for some time, and it still hasn't been fixed. So we do, Toronto does need to find solutions right now. But I don't think that those conversations should go away. And Bob Reed, the things that are being talked about today, one of them is uh, a tax on houses over $3 million, a sales tax, raising it. Um, most of us can shrug our shoulders and say, I'm never going to see a $3 million house. The other thing is street parking. And it's worth noting, a lot of Torontonians don't own cars either, so they won't care about that one. Well, but a lot of people do, and uh, a lot of people will care about that. And uh, I think Rob Davis is, is absolutely right, that there needs to be an assurance that everything on the spending side has been looked at and that there has been an analysis of what is truly necessary, what do we absolutely have to have, because th this, is, this is the level that we're at. This isn't just trimming around the edges. We really need to have a fundamental look at all city services and, 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 and start from scratch on them. And, and put them all under the microscope is really what, what I mean to say there. And I, as, as a ratepayer in the city, I don't get the sense that that's been done. I know Rob Ford was going to stop the gravy train and there was an analysis done and they said, you know what, there's not really much gravy here at all. Um, but since then... You know, there's just been this, well, yeah, but the, there's there's nothing more that we can cut. There's, there's, there's no savings to be had at City Hall. I'm not getting the sense as a ratepayer in the city that that's actually been 
properly assessed. Let's move on to the Greenbelt scandal and the latest poll suggests that the Conservatives and Doug Ford have actually taken a hit on this one. Bob Reed, you've worked at Queen's Park. I'll start with you on this. I mean, polls come and go, support comes and goes. But if it becomes your narrative that, for example, you favor rich people and you give, give stuff away to them, then that becomes a liability. That's the trouble. That's the brand damage that uh, Doug Ford and, and company are, are working their way through or trying to deal with <laughs> trying to trying to put behind them. So I'm, I'm sure if you ask them, uh, candidly, they would say what we really care about is the next poll, because what they want to try and assess now is, have we finally stopped the bleeding? Are we able to turn a corner on this thing, or is it going to continue to dog us uh, in in the polls? In in uh, in you know sort of in the in the medium to long term, that's what they're going to be looking at. Has it been a hit to the brand, and is that going to stick? It will. This this is not anything that's going to completely go away. It's not anything that the opposition is going to stop talking about. It's not anything that won't be brought up when Doug Ford seeks re-election again. Rob Davis, whenever there is a scandal at any level of government, pundits here will say, ah, you know, I, I talked to the neighbors. Nobody's talking about this. But clearly people are talking about this one. Everybody is talking about this. Mm-hmm. People who don't normally follow politics know that there was something that went on. Uh, they're not quite sure about the details. They may not realize, they think that, a lot of people think that the provincial government sold land to developers as opposed to change the regulatory framework. So there's a bit of a complication there. Um, I I, I think they, they have to, like in crisis management, you have to get out in front of it, you have to say what happened, you have to apologize, you have to say what you're going to do, and then you got to do it. I think in this case they let it drag on for a little while longer and they had the problem of waiting for the report. So they didn't want to get ahead of reports that hadn't yet been released. And I think that that that's been their biggest challenge is you had an Auditor General report, you had an Integrity Commissioner's report, um, they tried to protect Mr. Amato, uh, they tried to protect uh, the Minister, and now as uh, the Premier famously says, the buck stops uh, here, and so he had to come out, shuffle the Cabinet, and, and I think you know, Paul Calandra is a very, very capable minister. He's yeah. a smart, smart guy. He's tough as nails. Um, and like Tim Hudak said, he's going to make sure that any decisions that they make going forward, if you shine a line on it, it's going to uh, shine a light on it. It's going to protect the decision makers, the decision, and the process. And that's the only way they can get out from under this. Tamara, your thoughts? Oh goodness, I, I, Rob and Bob, I, I agree with a lot of what you said, but I think you're being far too kind, uh, Bob. I. I, I don't know if I agree with you that that the Ford government has been trying to put this behind this. And I don't know whether it's by pride or arrogance or masochistic tendencies, <laughs> but they have allowed it to draw on for not just days, but weeks, but more than a year. I would say that they could have avoided this mess had had Rob Ford, or, sorry, um, oh goodness, Doug. the the premier could have avoided this mess had he done what he's doing this week. What, um, a year ago when the Toronto Star and Norwal first released their scathing reports? Um, as, as Rob just said, it's Crisis Communications 101. Say it all and say it fast. But instead, the badness continues. Yesterday, uh, Doug Ford was comparing the green belt to something out of a dictatorship, among other falsehoods. We have not reached the end of this yet. And it'll be reflected in the next poll, I'm sure. 
We talked with a professor earlier this morning who talked about how teenagers can't tell disinformation uh, from the truth on the internet. It's not limited to uh, teenagers. Tamara, I'll start with you on this one. Um, and, and I think it's important we discuss what disinformation is, because there are things that are put out there to deliberately trick us. There are partisan things. But there's also just sort of junk information that favors one agenda or another. And a lot of people don't double check it. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest threat to our democracy, and it, it doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. Um, I think that many of us think that, you know, the next generation, the teenagers now are going to be the ones that are going to save us. They're the ones that are going to save the planet. They're the ones that are, are just going to save everything. But this is this is really, really concerning. And it didn't entirely surprise me. I, I worked on uh, something a year or so ago talking about the fact that so many teenagers even questioned basic facts about the Holocaust, like how many Jews died, uh, how many people died in the Holocaust. So it is extremely um, concerning. And it speaks to the need for real news literacy, online literacy, critical thinking being taught in our schools. It's just, it is, it is so critical. And this stuff is, is very scary. And please, I just, I hope they, they figure it all out before my kids are on social media. But Bob Reed, I remember the first interview I ever did on News Talk 1010 was with Ann Coulter. And I asked her a question about something and she said, well, what's, what's your source for that? And I said, I was in the New York Times. She went, oh, the New York Times. So if we're gonna <laughs> undermine the actual legitimate sources of information, then anything rules. Well, and that's how people with an agenda weaponize it. You know, ex exactly as, as you just uh, you just reiterated. You know, if, if you demonize what, uh, if you demonize what your opponent holds out as the yardstick of truth and accuracy and, and fairness in reporting, then you're under you're undermining their argument by extension. So this is the this is the sad truth of, of the world that we live in. And I, I find the, the results of this the study that say that the young people aren't very good at identifying disinformation or fact checking. Uh, I'm with Tamara. That's very concerning. It's surprising to me. You would think that, you know, the, the first generation that grew up online would be the best at calling BS and, and sourcing and, and verifying and double checking. So the fact that it's it seems to be going the other way is of great concern because, you know, the Nazis figured it out back then that if you control the narrative and if you can get your propaganda down the throats of the people, anything is possible. Well, I That's think, frightening. I, I, I think search engine optimization is the enemy of the truth. And it's because young people uh, will click on the very first search yeah. item that comes up as opposed to diving down onto page 32 or 42 uh, when you type in a search and try to do that comparison. And I think I think the, the quick access to information means that it made us a little bit more lazy. It made young people, and I don't want to call young people lazy, but it made young people sort of agree with whatever it is that comes up first. And I think that's also part of the problem. In, in the old days, when we went to a library, we had to look at multiple sources and sort of figure out and discern, be critical about the things that we read. But with search engine optimization, man, the first thing that comes up, it, got, it has to be true because Google says it's true.
But it's also mm-hmm. because some people go to a, a news source that may be dubious because they just want to confirm what they already thought. Right. And, you know, for example, people will send me stuff. I'll come back to the example of, did you hear ivermectin works? They proved it. And I click on ivermectin and I get a raft of websites that are dedicated to, you know, serial killer denial and all sorts of right-wing right wing conspiracy theories and stuff like that. But if somebody wants to believe that ivermectin has been proven effective on COVID, then they'll just go there and go yeah, see. There's confirmation bias that happens. That's, exactly. That's sure. yeah. But, yeah. but, but yeah. I also th- but I also think to, to some extent, the mainstream media have also fallen prey to some of this. And, I, yeah. and I'm not trying to criticize any station or any uh, news outlet, but I don't know. Uh, and I know we had our entertainment uh, reporter in recently here, but I does, do all of our stories need to lead with who dated who in Hollywood and who's getting split up? Like, there was a time when that would never be the lead story on a major news station. We got to call it there. Thank you all. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.